Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Folly Coffee Podcast. If you haven't done so already, I ask that real quick here, you just pause, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, and if you've liked any of the previous episodes or this episode, please give us that five-star rating. It helps us greatly. Thank you, and enjoy this episode. Hey, this is Rob. This is episode 78 of the Folly Coffee Podcast. Let's get it brewing. All right. You look a little bit like I took you back uh, walking through the door, and I was just like, Let, let's get right into it. How are you feeling? I'm with Carly from Wildflyer Coffee today. Good. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. No, this is uh, this is one that you were in last week for our little spot on WCCO, and then I was like, wait, how have you not been on the podcast yet? Like, this is absolutely ridiculous, and sometimes I, like, I'm going 100 miles a minute and kind of forget that it's like, oh, here's somebody that, like, I know really well and haven't even had on the podcast yet, so I'm pumped to have you in here. Absolutely. So let's go all the way back because you have one of the more unique coffee stories in the sense that what I love about what you're doing is the mission about what you do. And so I will just preface it with that without trying to explain what you do because that's literally exactly why you're here. So let's go all the way back to the beginning of your coffee story of just how it began from like the first thought where coffee became a part of your life. Oh, so. second or third grade. (laughs) Um, I kind of just grew up drinking coffee um, and was in the coffee industry. My parents had started a coffee shop. I'm from Wisconsin. Um, So I kind of grew up like in cafes and just around coffee and um, worked as a barista for 10 years myself in high school and college and just fell in love with it um, through that. So yeah, that's the coffee piece. (laughs) Yeah. Working as a barista, uh, Obviously, the, um, the mission is the big part of Wildflyer. So yes. at what point did the world of coffee begin to m- merge with your like mission-driven yeah. work that you were doing? Um, so I'll say I started to view coffee as something more. Um, so my mom uh, passed away when I was 19. At her funeral, everyone everyone's stories were just revolving around the coffee shop. And um, I think I started to see it as more than like a beverage, but especially in the cafe setting, just the community it can create and how you can use that to like love people well and bring people into something bigger than themselves. So that's when I started thinking, like, how can I use coffee for something else? Um, And then I went to college and majored in social work and kind of found myself working in um, the homelessness world, specifically with youth. And... um, probably in 2014 really solidified that employment um, was a huge barrier for young people in leaving homelessness and there was just a resource gap in helping cultivate skills Um, and so I kind of thought how can I combine a way to teach young people the skills they need to maintain employment and leave homelessness um, with coffee and so that's kind of what we started doing at Wildflyer. Right. And that's the the unique aspect of Wildflyer is that I think a lot of uh, you see a lot of companies these days have the thing that, oh, we donate X amount back mm-hmm. to this cause. And that is obviously like something we're trying to do. It's something that I do think is a great thing that all businesses should be considering when they are doing business. But you had the unique approach of not only do we want that to obviously be a part of it, but how do we empower uh, the youth to have these skills to be able to not only like just donate money, here's a Band-Aid on just like a mm-hmm. temporary situation versus give you skills to be able to go out into the world and like hopefully find employment not only just at Wildflyer, but afterwards as well. So what were your first steps when you decided that this is kind of like, this is the approach I want to take is have a, a, something based in coffee that is driven towards empowering the youth to be able to find the skills to fight homelessness? Yeah. Um, well, so like you're saying, Rob, like I knew that I wanted whatever we did to be a hands-on training because um, there are a lot of people that donate or give back. Um, and that's obviously really important, too. But there's definitely kind of a gap in like just teaching youth how to work and, and cultivate those skills. Um, so I knew that kind of going with like the cafe direction would make sense um, just to get youth in the customer service sphere of life. Um, so... 
the first thing I did was write a really embarrassing business plan. <laughs> um, but I, I still have it, and I would never let anyone see it. Um, but it, it was, you know, you got to just start somewhere. Um, so I did that, and then I ended up taking a small business class um, and met the woman who became our treasurer. And she um, had recommended that we start with a coffee cart, which was really wise to just start small. Um, so in 2017, myself and my business partner um, launched as just a really small cart at farmer's markets, just doing black coffee and cold brew. Um, and then we employed four youth that summer doing that. So that was like, yeah, it was really daunting to go from having this idea of, okay, I'm going to start a coffee shop to employ youth experiencing homelessness, um, to get from that idea to an actual shop. And so I'm glad we started just to start um, with the cart and it kind of gave us an opportunity to practice and, and grow um, at a better pace. What types of things were offered? Because obviously like the nonprofit side and the uh, businesses that are geared towards missions are going to be classified differently from your just traditional businesses. What was it like going to the state with this plan or even just getting licensed as just a cart at the time? What was that like going to the state and how did it differ? Do you think from just like a more traditional business? Um, yeah, so I'll say, I think it was, it was a hard concept for people to understand. I think the field of social enterprises is, is newer and growing, and I think we're, we're starting to get it more, but on the business side, I think a lot of people don't understand why we're a nonprofit, and then a lot of, from the nonprofit side, people don't necessarily understand the earned income piece of our model, so, um, the state was... Fine. I mean, everyone that started a business knows that the permitting process and just all of that is it's messy and it seems like it should be easier than it is, but it's not. Um, but I would say filing for our 501c3 and really pushing that we are a nonprofit was challenging for people to understand, like, why would we need to be a nonprofit or fundraise if we're a business and making money, um, which is kind of something we're continuing to like clarify for people is is why are we that way and. Um, yeah. And when someone asks, just out of curiosity, if I, if I came to you with that, like, I'm like, I don't get it. Why do, why do you have it built this way? Mm -hmm. Why did you decide to do it this way? Like you're doing it? What's the kind of answer you provide to someone? Um, so kind of like the one sentence summary is just that our bottom line is youth served and being a nonprofit, um, kind of gives us the latitude to make decisions that don't make money or actually cost us money. Um, so it really was about where is our priority and when push comes to shove, are we going to focus on profit or are we going to focus on our young people? Um, and for us, it's just all about the training. So we do, uh, we are able to fund a lot of our program through our earned income, but we fundraise because um, we have expenses just like a normal cafe doesn't have. So we hire, you know, like a, a social worker to help our youth just manage housing, transportation, all the other pieces at play in their life and we have to spend quite a bit more money on training because that's like the point of what we're doing so we have kind of a dedicated staff position um it's just like a very hands-on trainer and all of that costs just more money than a coffee shop would generate in revenue and in past conversations i've had with you it really does feel like it's it's almost like having two separate businesses at once because already running a coffee program as the cart and now mm -hmm. the shop which we'll get to later mm -hmm. but that is a business in itself that is already a lot of work. And then you've got this fundraising side that, that the fundraising side that is another business really on its own, like the nonprofit side of the business of fundraising to keep things mm -hmm. going and the training program, the extra layers that you have at Wildflyer that a traditional shop just would never have to think about that. How do you manage your time as you are like focusing? <laughs> <laughs> like I, I know based on our uh. conversations that maybe there's not a concrete way, but it, 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 it does interest me when you go, there's so much time that it takes for both that mm -hmm. how do, how much do you concretely think about how you're spending your time on the shop versus fundraising or is it kind of just as things come up you have to address them um <laughs> yes currently it is very as things come up um because the shop is so new and we're kind of getting our feet under us uh I'm still pretty enmeshed in the day-to-day -day stuff um it's funny that you brought this up because I was just in a conversation with my shop manager about this um 
it's it's a total like tension and a balancing act um which i think probably anyone in a social enterprise can relate with um yeah because you're trying to successfully run a coffee shop and a youth training program for youth experiencing homelessness um so i for me personally try to really I try to narrow in on the two to three things that I know will move the company forward. And for me, that is more of the fundraising and the storytelling um, in the youth piece and delegate running a really good coffee shop to the floor staff who are better at that than I am at this point. Um, So like in theory, that all works in tandem really well together. It's that doesn't always happen, but yeah, the whole thing where you're like, let's get people in rules. So I only yeah. have to think about one side or the other. And then on a day-to-day basis, it's yeah. just never how it goes down. <laughs> so let's go back to 2017. You launched the cart. Mm-hmm. I remember, were you at the Linden Hills farmer's market yep, a lot? Linden Hills, Fulton, Whittier. Did one with Finnegan's one summer, Northeast. And so as you're doing these farmer's markets, how are you getting connected with the youth that end up being a part of Wildflyer? Yeah. Um, so as just a social worker who, had spent four to five years working in the field before starting wildfire. Um, I just have like a lot of really good connections at um, shelters, drop-in centers and housing programs for youth. So we were just getting referrals um, from case managers at those places. I would just let them know when we're hiring. And what was that like during the hiring process? How, how was this explained to those that you ended up working with and was it what you expected when the card is up and running? What kind of challenges did you face? Um, <laughs> So it was what I expected because I have worked in this field for eight years and just know the chaos. But I mean, you can like know what's going to happen. And then when it's happening, it's still just sort of like, what in the heck am I doing? Um, So the hiring process, I mean, really low barrier to entry. You just submit like a three question application and then meet with me. And it was pretty just focused around you know, we're a six-month program. We're here to help you um, develop skills and move on and, like, understanding their housing situation. So the onboarding process is continually being refined because we're just continuing to learn new ways to to train youth. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's tough because you're trying to run a, a business that requires attention to detail and really good customer service. At the same time, you're helping young people cultivate those skills and they might not always have them. Um, So lots of situations where you're just trying to coach on the moment while like navigating weird customer interactions that you don't necessarily know how to handle. Um, And just the fact that a lot of our young people are coming to work and they might have been sleeping outside the night before. And so like they're already in kind of a rough frame of mind. And then someone yells at them about their cappuccino and they're like, F you. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm almost I mean, I just care. really putting things in perspective. And it's, yeah. the, it's the quote that I really like that it's like, the smaller your world is, the mm-hmm. bigger your problems are. Yeah. And so when you're considering somebody that their problem of that day is that mm-hmm. their cappuccino is not prepared properly versus yeah. the very real and like li- li- mm-hmm. life ch- changing problems that your youth are experiencing, it, it has to be interesting that wildfires probably really the only stable thing or mm-hmm. like first thing in their life that's an opportunity that is stable mm-hmm. and to go from such a place of instability and not knowing on a day-to-day basis versus having this probably has to be a pretty difficult transition for a lot of the people you work with. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you've experienced or how, how is it for a lot of people having this thing of stability, maybe never having experienced that in their mm-hmm. life? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll say I know feel like I can say this confidence that our youth love it and value it and know that they have like kind of this place that is maybe the safest place they've been in a long time or the has people that care about them um I think that since our youth are coming from so much instability just the idea of maintaining a work schedule and kind of that structure it puts into place is really hard and so the first two to three months of their time in the program is just like you got to show up on time and you have to show up for your schedule and it feels silly that we have to train on that but those are things that you just sort of take for granted um that people know and for our young people who have been in survival mode I think just having some of that structure put into place like can feel really good it can also be really hard to manage because they might not have I mean you know being 
in the chaos of street life is that's just all you're thinking about and so then to go from that to like oh I have to work at 6 30 tomorrow morning can be it can take a lot of support to get to that consistency and have customers generally like gotten it like what you're doing because it really isn't a traditional coffee shop especially like at a farmer's market Mm -hmm. you probably just get a lot of people that are there to just look around maybe get some food whatever and then oh I'll get a cup of coffee while I'm here and expect like you know just quick fast easy service first when you're over here literally like on this mission and you're working hard to just provide stability how is that interaction between customers that are used to a more traditional coffee experience to those not only with no experience in the coffee industry but really what you're doing is like probably first work experience ever mm-hmm. yeah some of those super basic soft skills um i would say for the most part customers get it and i think people that don't get it or don't want to get it don't come back and that's okay i kind of had to accept that wildfire probably isn't for everyone um and just like to preface that like 90 percent, probably 95 percent of interactions are fine like our youth are great and and they try really hard um there are some things that don't go super awesome and that's just life but um we're pretty forward with our mission because i do really want our customers to know to have that patience that maybe this person's in training or maybe they literally slept at a bus stop last night and there's just some roughness that comes with that and that's okay um but i think it makes our customers our partners as well like they're part of the training program i mean we need our customers to show up for us and so it really to me i think it kind of makes it like this like we're all in it together basically we're all supporting these youth so for the most part when people can kind of latch on to that they're pretty i think more understanding and just happy to be a part of it and for some people that don't want that experience, that's fine. Like we're just not probably them. not probably okay with that customer not coming yeah, back anyway. It, I mean, they're not gonna be happy. <laughs> we're not happy. I'm sure there are a lot of baristas that would be cool with a lot of yeah. customers not coming back <laughs> yes. that they have to deal with regularly. So you go yeah. from there, it, uh, launching in 2017, and then you successfully fund a sizable Kickstarter in 2019. What was oh, the process God. like, be working up to that Kickstarter, and when did you uh, the Kickstarter to begin the work to open your physical space, your uh, brick and mortar location. What kind of preparation went up to that? And when did you decide, because this, whether it's a mission-driven coffee shop or a coffee cart, I'm sure there are a lot of people that have been in the coffee industry that have been at that point that they're at the cart size and then they go, oh, at some point we want to go brick and mortar. How did you decide to go from coffee cart at farmer's markets to take the leap that, hey, we're, we're in a point that we're ready to start a Kickstarter to fund our brick and mortar location. Yes. Um, so in, uh, yeah, so that would have been 2019. So, I mean, really what happened was it had always been the dream and um, we were working with some youth that like were, it was two really young girls. So we work with 16 to 24 year olds and they were 16 and they were camping outside um, at Gold Medal Park, and they had been, like, shot at the night before they came into work. And I think that, in conjunction with just some, like, other chaotic situations that were happening, I just had this strong, like, what are we doing for these youth? This cart it was a great start, but it was definitely, I mean, we could hire super small amounts of youth for, like, five hours at a time on the weekends. And um, so the young people we had working for us wanted more hours. friends wanted to work for us like I saw the demand and I saw the need and I think I've just always been very passionate about it but in my mind it's like why are 16 year olds sleeping outside we live in America there is just no need for this this is ridiculous Um, it's unsafe it's obviously not comfortable so I just had this strong sort of like are we gonna do this or not are we gonna just go for it Um, and I just I don't know I felt like we just need to go for it and to help the risks. Um, and at that point, yeah. the business, uh, you mentioned that the small business course you took, you had a treasurer in mm-hmm. place. Were there other leadership positions you had in place? And who are these people? How are you finding them? Because I know just in our conversations that there's a lot of moving pieces and mm-hmm. a lot of people that have kind of been advisors mm-hmm. on how to run different parts of yeah. the business, especially as a nonprofit. So you mentioned the treasurer that came from the small business mm-hmm. cor- uh, course. I'm curious of other uh, like board member type positions that you might have had in place at the time you made this decision. 
Yeah, so we did have a board as a nonprofit. We have to have one. Um, oh, I, I didn't even know that. Yes, we do. Um, so they kind of operate as like, well, they're my boss and make sure that we're spending money wisely and staying true to the mission and kind of oversee us. So they, I basically kind of had to present to them like a campaign, like how much money do we need to raise? Here's where it's going. Here's the plan for fundraising that. Um, so I spent like a good six months just research. I don't, I don't know how to fundraise $200,000. Yeah. And that's, that's what the Kickstarter was for. <laughs> um, so we, our goal was 165 mm-hmm. and we actually raised 200. And so 000. going back to when you, so when you form a nonprofit, you have to have a board. Mm-hmm. How do you find your board members? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so our chairman just heard me speaking at an event and was super into what we were doing. And he reached out and we started talking. And so then we asked him to be on the board. Um, and then it was really like, who's in our network. So it started with, uh, you know, like my friend's husband and like just stuff like that. Yeah. Um, okay. You have a background, <laughs> yeah. you have a background in this and we need a, somebody <laughs> with that like background. <laughs> could and... help. Um, which is great. I mean, our founding board was awesome. I had never had a board before. I didn't really understand their role. So I definitely have learned a lot about like what that needs to look like for us. Um, but yeah, just kind of was like. So the hey. beginning is probably more just we have to have one of these. If yeah, we're gonna we be had business. to have five so, people at least. So let's go find five people that let's so like, hopefully oh, fit what we need. You went to school for economics. Great, you can be on our finance committee and just like yeah. And so had that, like that. Uh, founding board changed when you got to the point that you said we're going to start to raise this uh, Kickstarter with the goal of one hundred and sixty-five. Yes. Um, Actually, no. I think at that point it was still kind of our founding board. So our terms run in two years. Mm-hmm. So that was about a year and a half into their first term. Um, yeah. So we, yeah, we basically put together the budget. I had spent six months like researching how to do that. Um, I've learned a lot of things through this. Um, yeah. And I just kind of presented to the board and was like, here's what we need to do and here's why. And I think. Like, I need your help to help me meet donors and, and like, do this. Um, and so they approved the plan. So then in June of 2019, yeah, we started fundraising. So we started fundraising before the Indiegogo campaign that, like, you saw was mm-hmm. launched. Um, we had been kind of meeting with, like, private donors for months way before that um, and soliciting, like, smaller or private but larger donations um, just to, like have that momentum before we did the whole indiegogo thing so that was just like oh that was really hard (laughs) how did did you decide to do indiegogo versus kickstarter just out of curiosity um i i was really anxious about the whole all or nothing model of kickstarter um i just i don't yeah (laughs) by that time i was so stressed i was like i can't even add the fear that we won't if make it was our close goal. at the end the urgency yeah because the w- i r- ran two smaller ones but it was such a small quantity that like i wanted that urgency yeah. so people felt like oh it's not that much farther yeah. versus like a really big campaign i can't imagine if you were really close towards the end of a kickstarter campaign and you're like what do we do here but that's a really smart move mm-hmm. of going out and getting some large donations up front mm-hmm. and so these uh private donors you're finding are you going to them and saying hey we're going to launch a campaign when it launches will you fund the campaign or are you taking those uh, donors like separately um we took them separately so the yeah and so this gets into kind of the like technical game of nonprofits. but you kind of want to when you when we went public with the indiegogo like we obviously needed more money than the thirty thousand dollars we wanted to raise but it's unrealistic to think you would get you know one hundred sixty thousand dollars from a bunch of like five dollar donations on the internet so our goal was to really be about 70 percent funded before we launched um so that was really, I mean, like, we made Excel spreadsheets of everyone we knew and, like, emailed, you know, and was like, can you give us some money for this? And then kind of started working out from there and trying to network with connections. Um, obviously, I had to get out of my network. I'm a social worker. None of my friends had money. Um, <laughs> like, I don't know anyone with money. Um, but, yeah, so it was just kind of like, you know, you meet with someone who who maybe was like really into it and gave you five or $10,000 gifts. Um, and then I would ask them to introduce us to their friends and then you start kind of branching out. Um, and then we met several, there's like two or three donors who really, really funded the, the endeavor. <laughs> yeah. And, um, 
as you're going, is that how it happened? Is just kind of this word of mouth networking that you meet with this person? Hey, you should meet with mm-hmm. this person that I know. They might be into it too. And yeah. that's how you ended up finding these people that are doing these private donations yes. to it. Yeah. Tons of tapping into networks and like breaking into networks that were far, felt very far above me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, um, I like that. Breaking, yeah. breaking into networks <laughs> is a great way to phrase that. Yeah. I, there's a couple moments where like I, I just never thought I would be at that at a place but I mean I asked you know someone for $25,000 like straight up and that just felt so weird to me but yeah that's what you do <laughs> well and it's it's it the, I like that phrase of breaking into networks because like there are these moments where like whether it's business whether it's mm-hmm. nonprofit, that you do go I feel like I shouldn't be here right now I shouldn't be in this meeting I feel like oh I shouldn't God. be in this room right now <laughs> and you have to like, kind of sit back and be like well why is this person mm-hmm. willing to meet with me and I think about wildflower and I've already referenced this a couple times but you go there's the oh mission is a part of what we do but really it's so many of them out there where you go, this is clearly a marketing thing that you mm-hmm. go, this will play well with the consumer mm-hmm. if we do so-and-so. And then you hear business analysts breaking it down. That, oh, the return on investment of giving back X amount percent should uh, benefit us with more customer mm-hmm. loyalty versus what you're doing is just firmly rooted in the mission mm-hmm. that the entire business really is to empower youth through job training. It's everything you do. And so I can't, I, I would imagine that this word of mouth in going out meeting with potential donors is more effective than like someone trying to go out and privately fund a business. Mm-hmm. Like, because then it's just about the dollars versus what you're doing is the reason we want this shop is because then we have more hours to give. Mm-hmm. We have more roles to give and we have more opportunities for people that doing. And to go back to what you were saying about, and this is kind of an important point is that the people that were working for us and with us were asking for more hours and their friends were asking mm-hmm. for hours. And that's an important point because if the people that, if turnover was constant and if people didn't want more hours, mm-hmm. then this probably wouldn't yeah. work because whether it's the, the training you're giving or the concept or just the job itself was completely unwanted, mm-hmm. it wouldn't work. But the fact that you can go out and be like, hey, we have people working for us that want more hours, that need more hours, and also their friends that are experiencing the same thing are looking for more hours. It's like, it's like a really compelling story. And so I'd imagine mm-hmm. in these networking things, like they're not really thinking about like, is this money going towards something that's going to work? It's more like, okay, we need to find other people that can help with this. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that built up a lot of the momentum. Yeah. And so I I remember being at the uh, launch party at Dogwood on East, which seems like a, a, not even, I can't even phrase it in like a sense of time ago. I feel like it it was like an alternate reality that we used to live in. Yeah. Uh, But the uh, latte art throwdown launch party at uh, Dogwood East Lake, uh, which was packed out, which Mm -hmm. doesn't exist anymore. But uh, (laughs) the enthusiasm behind it and the Mm -hmm. amount of people that showed up was really exciting. And uh, was, and was that the launch of the Indiegogo? Mm-hmm. And how did the momentum continue after that party? What did you do to kind of continue to push the awareness behind mm-hmm. the Indiegogo, which would be the final piece to the funds to the cafe? Yeah. So someday I want to write like a blog about doing an Indiegogo. Um, I learned a lot. We So we did six or seven events throughout the course of the Indiegogo because with those you do have to, you have to work so hard to keep momentum up. So the first two days... I mean, we we fundraised, I think, two-thirds of our goal. Our goal is 30000 And I think we hit, like, two, two-thirds of that by day two or three, um, which is about par for the course. You get a lot of momentum right away. And so, yeah, we had the La Terra Throwdown, the concert the next night. There was a lot of – we got featured on the front page of Indiegogo. Like, there was just a lot of excitement. Um, and then to keep that going, we, we had different kinds of events, basically, wherever we – kind of had like a core group of people who would come um so we did some in wisconsin where i went to college um one in the duluth superior area um i kind of felt like we were just like on the road for a month um getting as many people together as possible to hear about it see the indiegogo campaign video um donate and then share it so it was just it was like daily effort to just keep keep it in people's minds because you know we all are kind of everything's a flash in the pan a little bit so you got to really push like 
It's, so it's so hard to capture attention <laughs> yeah. on anything. Like it's even like, even if it's a compelling story, yeah. to, uh, this is your entire world mm-hmm. to a lot of people that are supporting the Indiegogo. It's mm-hmm. like they might think about it for a few minutes and then decide yeah. on the spot. So keeping yeah. in like constant Just, pressure on yeah. it. And that's uh and and that's important to note too that like the way these campaigns are done is like if you can come out of the gate hot then mm-hmm. Indiegogo is going to put you on the front page because there's so much momentum behind it and the, if it's similar to Kickstarter it's a big part mm-hmm. of what it does and then like you said it just drops off so dramatically yeah, you, just, that too. <laughs> you know the, yeah the people who are interested in it are probably going to look at it the first day they're probably already engaged mm-hmm. with what you're doing so when it launches they're going to be like yes or no and probably mm-hmm. aren't going to change their mind later mm-hmm. if they're excited about it, they're going to go on the spot and so as days go on you're finding people that you either are not engaged with your business at all they're less engaged mm-hmm. or someone that like maybe already looked and decided this isn't mm-hmm. something i want to back for whatever reason and so it just gets harder and harder like every dollar to get towards that goal yeah and i mean a lot of what we did before we even launched you know we had a certain amount of money pledged like we had been reaching out to everyone like can you can you donate um you know we launched privately in the morning with like our friends and family to get all their donations in and then publicly launched at the um lot tear throwdown so that when we went live like oh there's already money there yeah. like people are already sharing it you know it kind of creates everything with fundraising and i mean business too it's all kind of funny you're just like behind the scenes like. yeah well it's like and it's funny because like most people probably know that about yeah. campaigns and they're still like they still it's still exciting you I still don't know. subconsciously <laughs> want that like momentum yeah. whether it's slightly manufactured whether yeah. it's very real in the way that it happens yeah. and so after you successfully fund the indiegogo obviously that was 2019 and then you're going okay <sighs> we have the funds yeah. for our shop as we go into 2020 mm-hmm. What are the next steps as you begin looking for a physical space for Wildfire? Yeah. Um, So that's where we had really great people on our side. So I'll just, like, give a little shout-out. Dogwood Coffee, um, Dan was really influential. Um, Greg Hoyt from Rustica. Like, those people really helped us figure out what are you looking for. Um, Caleb from 5 Watt was awesome. Like, just people that we could ask you know what makes a cafe successful what's the magic combination kind Mm of um so we kind of identified you know like the 10 things we needed and we have special considerations it has to be in a place that our youth can get to because they all take public transportation um it has to be i mean safety was a just concern for me wanting them to feel like safe coming to work um and then getting kind of that right niche of high enough income to support specialty coffee but also people that maybe were like going back to what you're saying like knew they maybe weren't getting the most high class experience at wildfire um yeah i, I like you don't want to aim too high i know high what you're getting at. trust me I've, I've worked in a shop that it, i will just tell you straight up it wouldn't work yeah. that the, the, yeah. you just go okay i understand you're here for the absolute best service and if it's even if i provide perfect service you're still yeah. going to find something wrong with it probably not the neighborhoods you yeah. want to target so i totally yeah. know what you're getting so at. i kind of had to go through like who you know who is going to be the wildfire customer um and yeah, just had smarter people helping us with that. Yeah, so, so as you're picking the brains of these people who are like really skilled, at, you know, they have really successful cafes. What are some of the things you learned about what you should be looking for in a potential space? Um, I mean, location is obviously like yeah. the big one. Um, things like going with location, like parking, um, just like making sure people can get there is really important. Um, for our purposes, it was kind of interesting because maybe in a regular cafe you would want a place that's like super busy all the time but we kind of knew we maybe would have sort of a ceiling on like how busy we could be um just because of our youth and and you you, we didn't want to be in a position where we're like unable to really focus on them um so that's kind of like a weird difference i think for us is maybe some coffee companies yeah, versus like starbucks like, who's using intense they wanna, analytics yeah. <laughs> how can we pump out 500 yeah. lattes today you know, efficiency yeah. like yeah, yeah. we just we know that there's like just inefficiency in how we do things like our business model is inherently kind of inefficient because of who we hire so you also have to like match the location speed to that um so those are important things i think like lighting the windows um that was kind of like a big one how does it look inside income levels on on neighborhoods and stuff so yeah learned a lot um 
So we we started. I mean, we started looking probably in December. The, you know, the campaign wrapped up in November, end of October. We started looking pretty quickly, um, and then we had found a space in March, and then COVID hit. It's a really good month to find a space. <laughs> I mean. I feel like we dodged it. We were going to sign the lease like the week COVID hit. So. Well, actually, in terms of timing, it's <laughs> probably about the best time you could yeah. find it in the year 2020. Yeah. I was like, whew, okay. So you're about to sign the lease. COVID goes down. And you go, let's just wait for this to ease up before we ink anything. It's going to be a two-week lockdown. Oh let's see what God. that is. And then let, let's just let this two weeks go by and then discuss from there. I was so stupid. Looking back, yeah, I was just like, eh. April will probably be fine. I don't think that's stupid. I think looking back, everybody would be like, April? That's five weeks from now. We'll be fine. Yeah. I was like, they're not going to, there's no way they're going to shut stuff down. Like, that's just not going to happen. And it was obviously. That was a year ago. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Here we are. So, yeah, I mean, that was tough. It was just sort of like, oh, that's annoying. Like, we had a lot of, like, we had a lot. I felt like we had a lot of excitement and momentum and um the place we had found had already been a coffee shop so just like anytime you can save on the build out is really awesome um so yeah so the weeks just kind of keep going on (laughs) and then months as this is happening how are you operating as a business are you able to really do anything while this is going down or how are you adapting while you're I mean, in theory, you're waiting for this to ease up to sign the lease, and then that just doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the first two or three months, I mean, we do um, have an online store. So we were really pushing. I mean, we we probably lost money, but that's okay. We're, that's why we're a nonprofit. Um, we were doing really steep discounts on, like, online coffee just because it was like, hey, this is the only way we can employ youth. Um, and that was stressful for me because more youth than ever before were applying because these young people that already lack access to jobs, you know, the only jobs they can get at like McDonald's and Wendy's and stuff like those were disappearing. Mm-hmm. So suddenly we've got more youth applying and way less hours than we'd ever had. Um, so we were just really trying to, you know, push online sales. Um, we launched, we did bike delivery for a while, which was just me and some youth biking around Minneapolis. Um, I think, yeah, and so that was in the spring and kind of by mid-summer, I think my board was like, hey, this just might not happen this year. And I mean, they really brought it back to the mission, right? We like, we create employment for youth. And we sort of always said like, we do that through coffee. So the coffee part is secondary. And so they were like, how can you create employment for youth in any other way like it just the retail thing probably isn't going to happen this year um which is cool I was like all right I'll just invent a new business that's fine <laughs> like I don't know <laughs> yeah casual yeah you know the thing that's been your <laughs> yeah. business for three years let's just not do that for a little bit I was a little bit like all right yeah <laughs> in a pandemic let me just get yeah. to that um but I mean actually like I really value some of the I think everyone got creative last year, and I think that was kind of a fun thing to see. Um, so that's when we reached out to Butter Bakery in South Minneapolis, who has a cafe, um, a coffee shop in their bakery. And I just asked if we could try to, like, employ our youth through that, and, like, we would pay them and do programming, but, like, use their cafe as a training space. Um, and their owner is wonderful, and he said yes. So... That's then what we turned to doing. So we did employ seven youth over the summer through that partnership. And was that something that when you went to them, you're just, again, it's like, how do you even begin to approach length of time of agreement or like <laughs> how long we plan on doing this or what we're doing? Yeah. When you approach them, are you asking how long were you kind of like, hey, we're going to do this for X amount of time mm-hmm. here? We had said three. I think we had put the end of December as kind of a like, let's reassess date. Um, so we started that in August. So yeah, it was like three or four months. Um, and we did kind of come up with the contract. I mean, it wouldn't really hold in the court of law, but (laughs) it's kind of like our understandings. Um, and, and Dan, their owner is, he has like a huge heart for youth. So he was, he, he put up with a lot. 
Yeah, that's, <laughs> and the, yeah, that's, I mean, that's got to be a difficult decision for him because I imagine him as a small business owner, he's got his yeah. own laundry yeah. list of worries <laughs> during a pandemic of going into month six and seven yeah. of a pandemic mm-hmm. as a brick and mortar bakery mm-hmm. that he's probably thinking about all his own things. So it can't be understated how difficult or uh, like how big of a decision that probably was for him yeah. and what it takes for somebody to be able to do something like that when most yeah. places are just trying to like kind of hold on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I felt like a lot of gratitude for a lot of coffee companies last year and just companies who it was a very easy time to focus on yourself and it was totally understood to focus on like I'm just trying to get my business by this year. Um, so I think there were several companies that really helped us and, and Butter Bakery was one of them. Like that was very admirable of him to just kind of open up his space and let us just like walk in and start doing this yeah. thing um, that had never been done before. And we stepped on each other's toes a lot, I'm sure, but worked it out. So, As you're nearing the end of kind of this agreement, so you're going into the December, obviously now it's the it's mm-hmm. February 1st as we record yeah. this and you're in a new shop. Yeah. So how the <laughs> heck do you go from entering Butter, Butter Bakery as, hey, we're, can yeah. we just really... Honestly, a training grounds, it's what our core mission is, uh, training youth, it's what we do, to all of a sudden you're in your own physical space as of February 1st. So, um, in the spring, actually, um, the CEO of Peace Coffee and I had connected because at that point they were not going to reopen their retail um, spaces, and they were interested in us taking over, and that like came up in the last week of May um and so we were we were interested and then um the George Floyd thing happened and I think their their roastery was damaged in that mm-hmm. and I think like everyone just kind of scattered after that I mean like obviously you live here so you know how Minneapolis was um and so that kind of got tabled for several months and so that's why i started pursuing butter bakery and just other options oh so this discussion was had before butter bakery yeah god to think about your year as you're trying to focus <laughs> yeah. it's like <laughs> obviously <was> everybody <laughs> had like an interesting year to say the least but that and and i imagine that the riots and everything and people being displaced had to have affected the youth homeless yeah. population as well i can't even imagine what that was like during a time when people with homes were yeah fearing for where they were living yeah especially for a youth that you know stay downtown and stuff i just i was really like let's make sure you're not in the middle of anything um yeah that was tough i actually we kind of shuttered our operations for a couple weeks and probably for a good two weeks most of my time was just reaching out to our youth um some of them really wanted to protest, so I take them, you know, we go to protest together um, and just like being a place to talk about. I mean, we employ a lot of youth of color, too, so it obviously impacted them very differently than me. Um, so, yeah, there was just kind of like a couple of weeks where it was like, we don't even do coffee right now. Like, yeah, <laughs> just an extra layer of everything that you have to think about on a Well, and we basis. couldn't even get our supplies because the post offices were like closed so yeah. I was like eh, we don't even have bags we can't even send you coffee if yeah. you wanted it so that was kind of crazy um yeah there had been a lot of just like man I would think we had our direction in place and then it would change um with the first chop and then the peace thing and then that was kind of off the table and um then the riots hit and it was a lot of like okay I don't know what we're supposed to be doing next yeah um which I know is true for a lot of people um, but yes, I think in August is when Lee kind of circled back and was like, okay, now we can talk about this. Um, and at that point I was just, I'm, it's a little dramatic, but I was a little dead inside. I was just sort of like, whatever. No, I, th- I think that's totally valid. <laughs> I mean, I, I've, it's not going to happen. <laughs> well, and I've said it before too. That's like, even to this day, it's like, if I get good news about something, I I yeah. like subconsciously can't even help it that the second I get good news, I have this like initial gut reaction of like, 
oh shit, like something's going to go wrong. Like I, I can't even begin to think of this as good news because it's just feels, yeah. it feels like something's going to go wrong <laughs> if I start being hopeful about something. So, and that's, that's just me dealing with our stuff over at Folly versus you having yeah. to have these multiple layers that you're thinking about of just not only just like the business side, but the emotional side of like having these connections mm-hmm. with your employees that are in real trouble while mm-hmm. these are happening, while also navigating the complexities of like race and the, that conversation being exposed in the biggest way that is going to help a lot of people grow but are some of the most difficult conversations you can have all (laughs) intertwined into your business that you're trying to figure out that you had this huge move plan going forward so I think it's totally fair for you to say (laughs) I felt a little dead inside because how do you recharge a battery during that year it just doesn't seem possible if I was in your seat yeah so yeah. August, she circles, <laughs> she circles back around in August. And what, how does that conversation start? Is it, hey, we're not going to be in the space anymore. Do you want to, <clears throat> do you want to take over the lease or is it like? Um, at that point it was, their lease was actually going to be up in September anyways. Um, at that point it was just really like peace. I mean, peace is so community minded themselves. And I think they were a nonprofit at one point in time, but mm-hmm. they're a B Corps now. And like, I think they, um, saw wildflyer as being like a continuation of their mission and their coffee legacy in the wonderland park space um because they've been there for 10 years and had really i think built up such a good community there and they really wanted it to stay as a coffee shop and i think just saw us as like well we're not doing retail anymore but wildflyer is doing retail and they're going to be a really good fit in that space um so they're just like another company that i can't really speak highly enough about for how they just really like came around us last year um and so it kind of became like a transferring piece over to wildfire like collaboration together they didn't just like leave um they really helped us figure out how to get how to open a retail shop um so yeah it was really like hey we like your mission we have this space we want to continue good things happening in that space so if you want it you should like take it over yeah even even just the small things about taking over space of uh being able to build on the relationship that they already had of Mm -hmm. being in that space for 10 Mm -hmm. years because i I imagine obviously we don't have a brick and mortar space but i imagine in a lot of those situations you're going into a building that you go i hope everything they're telling us is true and i (laughs) i hope this our landlord's a good person and Mm -hmm. what they're saying is true versus being able to go to peace and have them vouch for Mm -hmm. the space the community they've built and have a lot of these kind of uh, unknowns already mm-hmm. established through the work that Peace has done in that space had to have been pretty valuable as you're transitioning over as opposed mm-hmm. to a more traditional like, well, we're in this yeah. shop now, so yeah. hopefully people are, will come in. And even just to have Peace handed off in a way that's like their loyal customers might if somebody took it over mm-hmm. as just like, hey, this is our space now, there might be some like, oh, man, peace was my shop. But the the way peace hands it off to you and is like, hey, this we're basically mm-hmm. like given the go ahead mm-hmm. that like they're doing great stuff, yeah. too. Yeah, I felt like they kind of like endorsed us. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's, the, that's literally yeah. the word I was trying to think of. They gave you an endorsement <laughs> yeah. that, that, hey, yeah. We want them to take over mm-hmm. the space. This wasn't like as a, it could be a sad thing that hey, this cafe mm-hmm. that was here for ten years, but they turned it into an endorsement and were able to promote what you're mm-hmm. doing, which does take a lot of selflessness from the position of peace as yeah. they're trying to shift around their business mm-hmm. model to work with COVID. Yeah. So you yeah. you, get, you you agree we're going to take over this space? Yeah, yeah, we did. That was scary. Um. <laughs> I don't know. I, I saw was... like flashbacks through your eyes. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, well, it's just You're like, I did do that. I didn't did. I? Yeah. yeah. I still think about that sometimes and I'm like, oh man, we really did that. Um, yeah. Well, I just, I, I was like, I said, I just was like, it's not going to happen. It's just all going to fall through. Um, I didn't think anyone would think it was a good idea. I mean, who opens a coffee shop in COVID? Like that was just like, this is stupid. No one's going to agree to this. Um, and then there was just one Friday where I'd kind of been doing my due diligence. I was like, you know, I'll, I'll look at the space. I'll go through the routine. And then my executive committee on the board called me and they were like, we think this is great. Um, but I mean, our mission is youth employment. So I probably wouldn't open a coffee shop in a pandemic, but I would open a training program for youth experiencing homelessness. So I try to view it that way. Um yeah, it was just, it was one day where 
Dan from Dogwood called me and he was like, I think this makes a lot of sense, which I don't know. I just was like, Dan would never agree. Like he's a businessman. He probably sees the risks. Um, So he really, you know, encouraged me and um, Greg from Rustica. They all just called on the same day and they were like, you should do it. Um, So then I started getting excited. I was like, okay, we're going to do it. And then I had to do landlord negotiations, which I just never want to do again. Um, it was stressful. <laughs> I don't have the stomach for the ups and downs. I was going to say, this isn't it. why you got into it? That seems really fun. <laughs> it was just like, I don't know, you probably had had to negotiate contracts before. You just feel like it's going to fall apart. Not really. Okay. I, I, <laughs> don't I, do I, it. I rent everything. Like, I probably don't make as much money as I could just because I'm like, I shy away from anything even remotely close to that. <laughs> it, was, it was really stressful. Um, yeah. So we signed the lease. And got the keys November 1st. And how quickly after getting the keys are you uh, up and running? Five weeks. And I remember, so tell the story because <laughs> you told dumb. you told me this. Yeah, I was going to say, I wasn't going to say it, but five weeks. So okay, that's fine. I guess you don't like sleeping either. Uh, but, so I'm in the coffee but, industry. But tell me the story uh, that you told me uh, last week about, uh, so you get news coverage and you're like, well, we weren't, oh, we weren't, we're not open yet. And you're like, I, well, we can't not, like, we can't turn this down. Like, we're, I guess we're just open now. Yeah, well, we had sort of like this soft little like friends and family thing planned for the first week. And then Care 11 caught wind of what we were doing and they wanted to come on a, so on a Sunday we had sort of done like our first day um, with just like friends. And then we had decided we were going to close for a couple days, reassess, and then like really quietly reopen to the neighborhood. And then Care 11 on Tuesday was like, we're going to come at five tonight. And I was like, okay, I guess we're opening tomorrow, guys. <laughs> like, everyone in your places, please. Because, um, I mean, you know, you can't turn on the media. Yeah. Yeah, there's opportunity. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I mean, it's one of those things that you go, well, you could still get this story and open up the following weekend. You're like, you, but they the, won't. The attention yeah. span of people, no. it's, it has to be right then. Like, it, yeah. if you get a story, it has to be happening yeah. at that moment. And like, I've learned that the hard way where you're like, oh, yeah. shoot, we weren't going to do this for a couple of days. Yeah. And they're like, well, we only have this time right, like, slot. Oh, we, and then you have the reporter's attention and you just yeah. kind of have to go for it. And of course, then they go for it. And then, like, all of, then everyone else went for it too. Um, so we had a lot of, coverage but I mean it was okay because opening December 15th we couldn't we had could have like five people in the store at a time so it was almost like a built-in soft opening to open when we did we might have opened a little too soon um yeah well and hopefully the way they described the story people (laughs) kind of like was did you feel that there was an awareness of what you were doing before people showed up or was there still a lot of that education as people are walking through the doors um I think most people are aware, like, as I was saying, we're very, very mission forward. Um, It's like plastered on our wall, our mission statement. So I think people know, and if they don't know, it's not from lack of us trying. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I probably talk about it too much. Um, Not possible. (laughs) It's literally literally not possible. No, you know with marketing, you got to say it over and over. I say the same thing over and over and over, and people are like, doesn't this message get worn out? I go, I cannot explain to you how many people have not interacted with it. Because you can get in your own little world, and you go, I've said this a hundred times. I I don't need to keep saying it. People know about it. And then you realize, you go, oh, no one knows about it. Like, the people in our world know about it, but there's, but, and that can be a little bit daunting, but you go, that's also means there's a ton of people that don't even Mm -hmm. know about this Mm -hmm. yet. And so like repeating that message over and over is, is is so important, even though when you're the one delivering it, you're like, people must absolutely Mm -hmm. hate me right now because I'm just saying the same thing over and over. I know. I'm like, are people so sick of me saying like we create employment opportunities, but they probably don't, they don't remember it. Exactly. We all think that our business is the best thing in the world. Yeah. No one else does. And and everyone's paying attention. Everyone. Of course. Looks at every Instagram. Yep. People wake up and they go, what is it? Uh, I had a former guest, uh, Zach Lyman, who does some of our digital marketing. Mm -hmm. He's also a stand up comedian. And he was like, no one wakes up and goes, I I wonder what target posted today. (laughs) And I was like, that's such a good way to think about it. No one wakes up and goes, Oh, I wonder what folly is posting today. That it's like, Nope. If they happen to come upon your scroll, you have to be like, this is what we do because everybody will only remember Mm -hmm. one thing about what you do. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's, I I really like how you phrase that, that, uh, and it it does add a layer of complication and challenge to your business that you go, it it really isn't that we're a coffee company first. It's that we are training youth first and coffee comes second. But you, you see when the pressure is applied to a business, 
what happens mm-hmm. that you have to make tough decisions. And because you had those priorities in line, it allowed you to continue what you were working towards versus if you were kind of like, well, we're kind of a coffee shop and you know, it's the mm-hmm. coffee first, but also we were doing this. Then when those decisions come into play, the butter bakery thing would probably absolutely never happen. If you're like, no, it has to be this. Yeah. And th- I think that's an important way, not only in the nonprofit and what you're doing, but in business is you mm-hmm. have to have your priority of like, what are our priorities yeah. what we're focusing on? Yeah, that was, and that was really going back to why we became a nonprofit. Like, I, I know a lot of people talk about wanting a double or triple bottom line, but I just feel like there is one thing that you, because there's going to be moments where you have to make decisions and something has to go. And I mean, we have that conversation all the time, just within our shop, even looking at like our labor percentage compared to sales. And if, the easiest way to fix that would be to not have two people on shift every day. But we have two people on shift every day because we want to employ our youth. So those are just decisions. Like I was saying, we just make decisions that are ineffective. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, for a traditional business model, don't yeah. make sense. And yeah. And when you think about it from a, a, a marketing perspective, it's like if you were to go away from the nonprofit model or if you started only focusing on the bottom line, then you're going to become more similar to every other business doing mm-hmm. what you're doing. And that's where I'm like, well, if, in any decision I make, I go, does this make us more different than the competition mm-hmm. or more similar? If the answer is more similar, I go, we're not going to do mm-hmm. that. And so what you're doing is focusing on your mission. No one's doing this, mm-hmm. like no one. And so it just continues to separate you from the competition mm-hmm. in a way that obviously you're not doing because you go, this is a good marketing play, <laughs> but it does make you more memorable. Yeah. It, like it sticks with you more what you're mm-hmm. doing and it makes it more genuine because, well, it is versus mm-hmm. the thing I was talking about at the beginning is like large corporations trying to seem more genuine yeah. when really they're like, okay, what is our bottom line? Will this yeah. help it or hurt right. it? Right. Like, you know, cause every corporate responsibility like looks good. Yeah. <laughs> and so how's it been since launch? And obviously we're back up to 50% indoor mm-hmm. and things are, you know, very big knock on wood here, but starting yeah. to get a little bit back towards uh, some form of normalcy in terms of being able to have customers in and out. How's it been since the launch? Mm-hmm. Um, it has been good. I mean, we our numbers are going in the right direction. Like, obviously, I have to remind myself there's really no reason for us to be just crazy busy because we're in a pandemic and it's slow in the coffee industry and we're new. So, like, everything's against yeah, and us. And it's January, which <laughs> yeah, is the slowest like, month. No one's trying to come out right now. Um, yeah, my vice... And it's, you know, five <laughs> degrees <Yeah>. out. <laughs> my vice chairman texted me the other day and he was like, no one's expecting you to be making money. You know that, right? And I was like... You. <laughs> I've been feeling like you know what? I can meet your expectations right now. <laughs> I was now. like, well, then I am thriving. I'm killing it. I've been doing that for a um, while. <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay, that's good. You know, I had to kind of check my expectations. Um, but no, it's it's going well, and I am really grateful for the slow start. I think we had a lot of things planned out in theory, and then once we started doing them, we were like, all right, that was a terrible idea. Never again. Um, so we've really been able to sort of refine the youth piece and I think as we're ramping up like we're getting better and so I think by the time summer comes when yeah hopefully things are trending in a positive way with COVID and more people are coming like we'll be really running better um it's just hard starting a new thing like you're just constantly finding kinks and and working stuff out so it's all normal but, but you'll um, become comfortable in that space yeah. and you'll have, th- you know, all these training programs in place and people have been working in the space mm-hmm. for a while that then when it gets busy, you're like happy it's busy versus yeah. like, oh no, yeah, like, it's oh, busy. Crap. What do we do? You know? <laughs> like it's chaos. Um, yeah. And I mean, people's reactions have been overall really positive. Like Good. glad we're there. Happy it's still a coffee shop. Um, liking the mission. So it's, I feel like it's a good start and I believe we'll continue to trend upwards and grow. Yeah. I mean, especially if you're thinking of it, the shop, the shop itself previously being a peace coffee shop. So it's good quality coffee. Mm-hmm. They're probably happy that it's like, oh, okay, it's another high yeah. quality coffee shop. Mm-hmm. Peace customers may be drinking that coffee because they like what peace is mm-hmm. doing. And then you come in, you're like, well, we love what they're doing too. And so yeah. I imagine the transition of their existing customer base was fairly mm-hmm. smooth mm-hmm. Uh, and then attracting new customers through just this shift in what the business is. Mm-hmm. So uh, w- what would you like to plug? Is there obviously, so right now the shop in mm-hmm. South Minneapolis is obviously a huge focus of what you're doing. Is the online store after all that kind of crazy time back up? Yep. The online store is back up. Um, still doing it. I mean, that 
job, that um, piece of our business model makes a job for a young person. Um, so that's still like exciting. Um, actually, one of our youth is graduating the training program and taking over production. So I think that's like our heart is to continue like elevating our youth experience. Um, but yeah, I would say like the most important thing right now is just plugging the shop. Um, we love seeing people. The youth love seeing people. And we just need more people who want um, to support what we're doing to come and know that they're playing a really active role in like creating employment opportunities for youth. So that's fun. It's coffee that does a little bit more. Yeah. Anything else before we go? Um, not for us. I did realize that I forgot to mention um, three other coffee companies that were great. Um, so I just wanted to thank you for donating coffee to us last year. We were doing outreach at um, the memorial site and you donated coffee, mm-hmm. SK donated coffee and bootstrapped it as well. Um, and just again, during a time when like it would have been understandable to not just want to thank you guys for that. Yeah, no, that was a time where I was, it, you, you got, well, if, the, if there's ever been a time where you're not looking at bottom line, it's like it's, you got, everything is like literally yeah. nothing is stable. <laughs> and you're like, how can you think about bottom line when like how the city's burning? It, it, put, it put a lot of things into perspective. Yeah. It really did. And that, that was kind of something that even we've changed about how we think about how we operate. And obviously, you know, we're more focused on the business. Like, hey, we still have to stay in business mm-hmm. and grow. But, you know, even like the Minnesota Roasted we're doing right now mm-hmm. is a great example that Jeff put together of like, hey, as a business, how can we continue to think about the community aspect of what we do? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's why I've always loved what you do, because it, that's all it is. And it's like super authentic and genuine because of your background and mm-hmm. how you started it and why. Um, so I think I will end it there and yeah. end it like every other episode and say, have a nice day. <laughs>